So Nicholas started a, a, a series. And like he said, we were intending on, on uh, beginning this new year with a series on, on mental health and the gospel, how the two intersect. And in fact, they do, thankfully. Excuse me, I'm just going to take a little swallow of water. But he felt very influenced by the Holy Spirit to kick off the new year. Actually, it was the last... Sunday in this, uh, excuse me, December, that uh, Nicholas launched this series looking ahead, called it The Way of Jesus. The text for the day for today is Luke 9, 23. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, anyone at all wants to be my disciple, that person must deny himself or herself, it's not a gender-specific word, every day and follow me must deny himself or herself, take up their cross, and follow me every day. I'm going to be focusing on three questions this morning. What is the way of Jesus? That's the title of this series. What is the way of Jesus? On the 31st of December, Nicholas was looking ahead. He said, what does it look like to truly follow Jesus in 2024? I hope you pondered that question with him. It's an important question. He answered it. He said, it looks like being a disciple. It looks like being a disciple. That's, that's Christianese. That's Christian language. Those of you who are familiar with the way of Jesus, at least to some extent, and you're familiar with the Bible even a little bit, you've, you've heard that word. You know that Jesus told his disciples to make disciples. We call that the Great, great Commission. The Bible has a lot to say about, about that. But we need to continue to ask the question, what is a disciple? And so some of what you're going to hear this morning is remedial, it's review, and, and, and maybe some of it is, is new to you, maybe some of you. What is a, as a disciple? That's the second question, and the third question is going to be, what's the basis for discipleship? So let's begin by asking, what is a disciple? By definition, if you look back to ancient times, first century times when the apostles were alive, when Jesus was here physically, a disciple was a follower of a, of a rabbi, a teacher. And, and the goal of the disciple was to study the rabbi, to, to actually to walk so close, literally, to walk so close following the rabbi around that they, they wore the dust of the rabbi. And the, and the goal was to become so familiar with this rabbi that the student, the, the disciple, would, would not just embrace, but embrace the thinking, the teaching, the practices in order to embody those things. Does, does that make sense? So what's the primary objective of being a disciple of Jesus? It's, it's that. Jesus said in Luke 6, 40, he said, if a disciple is fully trained, that disciple, man or woman, that disciple looks like his master. Paul, Paul said this a little bit differently to the, to the Galatians. In Galatians 4.19, he said, I'm in labor with you until Christ is formed in you. And then he says it a little bit differently to the Romans. Following that famous passage, you know the passage, Romans 8.28, 
God makes all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It goes on to say in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, that is those whom God knew ahead of time would respond to his son. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. People that God foreknew would follow Jesus. His goal for them, his plan for them is that they look like Jesus. They grow into Christ-likeness. To the Corinthians, Paul says, as you behold the glory of the Lord, you're going to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Into what? Into Christ-likeness. So, the objective, the primary objective of a disciple of Jesus is to grow in Christ-likeness. What else is true of a disciple? A disciple steadfastly continues in the way of Jesus. How do I know that? Well, I'm reading John chapter 8, and Jesus says, if you're truly my disciples, in other words, if you're the real deal, you're authentic disciples, you're going to continue in the truth, and the truth will set you free. Real disciples continue in the truth. Some translations put it this way. You will abide in the truth. And that means you will make, make the truth your home if you continue. So disciples continue. They don't, they don't just flirt with Jesus. The Christian life isn't for them a hobby. It's everything. And then because they abide in him, they learn the truth that sets them free. Truth sets you free. In the book of Zechariah, but also in the book of Isaiah, it says, my people are held captive because of their lack of knowledge. They're made prisoners because of their lack of knowledge. In Proverbs 11, it says, through knowledge the righteous escape. A disciple is someone who's always learning the truth. And truth sets you free. The truth of God always sets you free. Helps you to, to experience more freedom. The kind of freedom you're looking for. What kind of freedom are you looking for this morning? Maybe freedom from resentment? Freedom from guilt and shame? Freedom from disease, perhaps? Freedom from addiction? Freedom from pride? Self-righteousness? If you're a disciple, you continue in the way of Jesus and you discover the truth, it, it sets you free. And then it goes on to say in John 8, 36, he whom the Son sets free is what? It's really free, really truly free, not just superficially free. And another thing that's true about disciples is disciples make other disciples. Matthew 28, Jesus is, is telling his disciples before his ascension, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he's saying, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. Now some translations say go therefore, but in the original language it can also be translated this way, as you go therefore. That means you don't even have to leave your current location, though sometimes that's required. We have people leaving this location to go to Guatemala. This church has several people who've been on the mission field, some for years. Sometimes that is essential, but sometimes you can make disciples just as you go, as you do life. Disciples make other disciples. And then according to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, a disciple is someone who listens 
so that they can get a word from God and it says they're going to sustain the weary with a word. A disciple listens, listens to the Lord to get a message that will sustain weary people. What a beautiful thing. And then according to the text for the day, Luke 9, 23, the disciple, a disciple follows Jesus, follows Jesus. One of the most profound things I've read in the New Testament about discipleship is that the 12 were with Jesus. Proximity matters. You can be with Jesus even though it's the 21st century. It's not the first century in Israel, it's the 21st century and we who are here, we're in Fergus Falls, Minnesota and this whole area. We can follow Jesus here. We wanna learn to follow him. And Jesus said, you need to learn to deny yourself Deny yourself. And so a a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is somebody who prefers Jesus over their own self, over your own ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, your longings, your goals. A disciple says, I would rather prefer Jesus than any of those things, as important as some of those things have been to me. A disciple takes up his or her cross. Well, I'll tell you, these first century believers weren't unfamiliar with that language. They walked on Roman roads. You know, Rome was, in those days, a global power. Global power. And they were an occupying force in Israel. And just to make sure people took what they wanted seriously, when people didn't, they, they did what? They executed them by crucifixion. And they'd put them on crosses along the Roman roads. So it was not uncommon in the Middle East and elsewhere to be walking along a Roman road and see people hanging from crosses. Death by crucifixion was death by suffocation. The weight of the body fell in and bore on the lungs, and people eventually just couldn't breathe anymore. Sometimes it would take days. And then if they were actually nailed, they were bleeding from those wounds too. So when Jesus uses this language, he's choosing language that's really, really gruesome imagery that's gruesome. If you're gonna follow me, you need to be prepared to die to yourself, to die an excruciating death. In fact, the word excruciate comes from crucifixion. Be prepared, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, be prepared to die an excruciating death, sometimes physically, but more often than not, sometimes death to self, to my way. See, by by nature, when we're born into this world, we're born with a motto. The motto is, my will be done. That's why often we are in conflict with others. And when you have, for example, two people whose motto is, my will be done, they get married to each other. Each has that as a motto. Guess what? Your conflict won't be resolved because everything becomes a power struggle. But when each of you is influenced by Jesus and you want to say, not my will, but your will be done, then every conflict becomes resolvable. And even in churches when we get into conflict, and I said, when, not if. There isn't a church where conflict doesn't exist. When we get into conflict, if our motto is not my will but thine be done, then guess what? We begin to be reasonable. We think, God, have your way. 
A disciple denies self, takes up his or her cross every day, every day, and follows Jesus, prefers Jesus above self. A disciple prefers Jesus above others. In Luke 14, 26, Nicholas unpacked this very well. He said, you know, you need to learn to prefer Jesus even above your spouse, your father, your mother, your family of origin, everybody, your kids even. Prefer Jesus. Do you know that that's not natural, everybody? That's not natural. That's supernatural. It's natural to, to be faithful and loyal to your family of origin. But Jesus said, but if you're going to be my disciple, there can be no room for competing loyalties. God will brook no rivals. He's a jealous God, not, not in a petty kind of way. He's jealous in the sense that, let's just say you're a, you're a parent and you're, you've got a little child, a little toddler, you're, you're leaving Walmart, and you, your little toddler wants to run out into the traffic, but you're latched onto that little kid. You got a grip of that little hand. You say, no. You jealously protect. That's the thinking of the New Testament when it explains God's jealousy in James chapter four. It's not talking about some insecure deity. It's talking about a God who's so passionately in love with you that he's protective in his care for you, but not controlling. So a disciple prefers Jesus above self and above others. And as I said, that's not even natural. This is supernatural. It takes God to have that attitude. And then a disciple is somebody who prefers Jesus over stuff. Luke 14, said, anybody who would be my disciple needs to surrender everything they have. Everything. You ever thought about doing that? Think about your stuff. Maybe your stuff includes a house. Maybe more than one houses. It includes some property. It includes some clothes. You might say, well, I don't have much. You got some clothes, I bet. I remember when I didn't think I had very much, I said, Lord, would you help me to be appreciative? And I started realizing I had so much, so much underwear in my drawer. Lots of pairs of socks. And I, and I realized I was getting pretty flabby. And I thought, I never go hungry. I never, ever, ever go hungry. And sometimes there's a little wiggle room and I could even go out to eat. And I, I, I live in a temperature-controlled environment. In the winter, I can turn on the heat. In the summer, I even had AC. Pretty good. Pretty good. God says, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's costly. You've got to prefer him even over stuff. Stuff. And a disciple does all that stuff every day. Every day. We do it daily. That's the only way you can do it. You see, if you really want to finish strong, you ever read that book or hear about that book called Finishing Strong? That book exhausted me. I read that book many years ago. I was in my 40s. I thought, man, if I live till I'm 80-something, I don't know, man. This is just contemplating, finishing strong in the Lord. It's just pooping me out just thinking about it. Then I sensed the Spirit saying to me, but you could do it one day at a time. I sensed him saying, don't take the long view. It'll, it'll, it'll be demoralizing. Take the short view. You can finish strong today, can't you? You can finish strong today. Disciple lives this way daily, just one day at a time. Sometimes even one moment at a time. 
Now I want to talk to you a little bit about the basis for discipleship. But first I want to tell you what the basis isn't. The basis is not your willpower or your determination or your grit or anything like that. We're told in the book of Zechariah that the way of the Lord is not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit. This is a supernatural way of life empowered by God. Do you know that the New Testament helps us to see that the basis for discipleship is another ship? It's called sonship. Sonship. And it's not a gender-specific concept. You see, the New Testament celebrates our identity as God's beloved kids with, with a whole lot of, uh, of, of fanfare. Paul, Paul writes this, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Abba, which is Aramaic for father. It's, it's really not people who say it means daddy. It, it's not true. We wish it did, right? It doesn't mean that in the Aramaic. It means father. But little kids, that's one of the first words they learn. Little kids in the Middle East, they learn Abba, Abba, Abba. Father, Father. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, it says, bears witness with our spirit that we are children, and if children, then heirs, heirs with Christ and heirs of God. This is the basis for discipleship is knowing that we are God's beloved kid. That's the, that's the thing God wants us to consider. Long before God wants you to exhaust yourself with the heavy lifting of discipleship, he wants you to bask in sonship, in being a daughter, and being, being a son, being a kid that takes off all the pressure. How does this happen? Well, it doesn't really happen by accident. There's some, some pieces to this. And guys, I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, that's one of my things is to tell you, I, I don't have the final word. I have not arrived. I'm, I'm 70. I'm, you know, sometimes I really do feel like a beginner. I'm just sharing some things that have been meaningful to me and helpful to me. I, I, I want more. I want to learn more fully how to just let the Father love on me and say, you're my boy. You're my boy. You know, I, I didn't grow up with a dad. And one of my best memories, my oldest brothers, Wally and Eddie, were 18 and 19 years older than me. Ed's oldest son is just two years younger than me. And, and Wally's oldest son was, who's, who's been dead for a long time, sadly, he was six years younger than me. Do you know what? They were taking their sons to a father-son banquet at our church. We went to a Catholic church in Chicago. He said, Kevin, we want you to come. We want you to come to this father-son banquet. So guess what? There, I went. And I got a picture. There's Ed. And his son, his son Scott is here. And Wally and Brian were on the other side of him. And Ed's right hand is on my neck. I got to tell you, I lit up that day. I was 11 years old. I still remember that day. I still remember my brother touching me. See, my, one of my love languages is touch. Oh, to be touched like that. To be held, to be pulled in, to feel like, hey, 
I accept you. I acknowledge you. I see you. No, technically he wasn't my dad. He was my big bro. Oh, man, I, I felt like I mattered. God wants to do that to you. He wants to put his hand on your neck. He wants to pull you, pull you close. He wants you to feel his embrace. You know, anybody who tells me that Christian, Christianity is, is theoretical and not intended to be experiential, I, I tell you what, I don't have a lot of patience for those people. I'm tempted to say naughty things to them. I just want to say, that's ridiculous. I refute that in the name of Jesus. What a bunch of hooey. Don't settle for that dry, stale, counterfeit version. It's, it's not even remotely close to the Christian life. The Christian life is experiential relationship. God runs for every prodigal, just like in the parable of the prodigal. He doesn't stay home. God's running for you. He's chasing you down. You think, you got to seek God. He's saying, I'm seeking you. You think, oh, I have a God-shaped void in my heart. God's got a God-shaped, God's got a, a Wendy-shaped heart uh, hole in his heart for you. A Cleo-shaped hole. A Danny-shaped hole. A Danielle-shaped hole. A Nicholas-shaped hole. God's, God's got an ache in his heart for you. He sent his son. He didn't wait for people to just wake up one day and say, I guess we're in trouble. We should probably seek the Lord. You're on his radar. When the children of Israel were suffering, you know, all kinds of terrible abuse at the hand, hands of, of, of the Egyptians, God, God said to Moses, I'm sending you to, to liberate these people because I've walked among them. I hear their cries. I've seen their suffering. In the Old Testament, God is called El Roy, the God who sees, he sees suffering. In the book of Psalms, it says, he's taken note of your suffering. He, he stars your tears in a bottle. God is keeping a journal of everything you suffered. And he's saying, and I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to prevent you from experiencing suffering. Don't expect that in the sight of heaven. That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. That expectation is not born of God. Jesus said, in the world, you have trouble. And then he said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The worst thing that can happen to you as a Christian is to be intimidated by trouble. Kick it in the teeth. It's not that big. I don't care if you suffer a diagnosis of cancer. I don't care if you lose somebody that you love. I don't care if you get fired from your job. It doesn't matter what people do or what they say. Ultimately, God is with you. That's the answer. God is with you. He sees you. He's El Roy. God cares, and he's moved, and he's going to draw near to you. That's God. That's God. That's who he is, and this is the basis of discipleship. The basis of discipleship is not well, I'm some kind of spiritual stud. I'm some kind of spiritual elite. I'm a spiritual Navy SEAL. How sick and wrong is that? How stupid. How unlike the way of Jesus. He says, come to me because you're weary, you're heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. So, you know, how are you going to grow in this, everybody? It says, behold, behold the manner of love. The Father's given us. Look at it and observe it. Take note of it. What's, what's it look like? What's the love of God? I'm going to give you some remedial stuff. You know why we need remedial stuff? Well, you tell, we've got a whole bunch of athletes here in this church. You, do you know a coach in the world who doesn't want you to learn and relearn everything you've been taught already? 
You learned any drills you don't need to relearn? If you're a musician, you learn anything you didn't need to relearn and practice over and over and over again? Why do we get bored with remedial stuff? Ah, heard all that stuff before. Oh, really? Are, are, you, are you embodying it? Because if, if you're not embodying what you heard before, you, get, you need to learn some more. Would you agree with that? Yeah, keep on learning. So here's some basic stuff. I'm never bored with the basics. I love the basics. When I was a wrestler, I learned the wax on, wax off basics. I learned stuff I just practiced over and over and over again until it became muscle memory. It just became automatic, thoughtless, wouldn't even require any thought. And that's been my journey for 52 years as a follower of Jesus Keep learning, to, keep diving into the Bible like you're a newbie, like you're a beginner. Dive into that Bible like you're in, reading it for the first time. Dive into prayer like you're learning to spend time with Jesus for the first time. Dive into fellowship with others like it's the first time. Re- find, rediscover your first love. Rediscover your first love. Behold, think about it again. Behold what manner of love. What's that look like? Here's some remedial stuff. It looks like unrestricted love. God loves you without any restrictions. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were sinners, when I sin, God's still for me. It looks like no deal breakers, according to Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from his love. Stuff can separate you from fellowship with God, but nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then God's love looks like the same quality of love for us that he had for Jesus. Jesus said that in John 17, 23, the same quality. He doesn't love you with a, a lesser quality of love than Jesus. God's love looks respectful. How do I, I know that because he tells us it's non-controlling because it says love, love doesn't have its force its own way. Love doesn't insist on its own way. God says it can even be resisted. He can be resisted in Acts 7, 51. He tells us that his love is polite. Jesus knocks on doors. He doesn't barge in. God's love is polite. He's waiting for you to open the door of your heart. He's waiting for you to give your say-so. Will you today give your say-so to Jesus and say, make me a disciple and help me to learn how to be your beloved? Would you do that? Man, I'll tell you, things can change. And then how about this? What What if you asked God to help you experience his love? Here's a text for you. I like reading Bible, different Bible versions. This one's the New Living Translation. This is what Paul said he was praying for the people of the Ephesian church to experience. He said, I pray that Christ will more and more be at home. Well, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will more and more be at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of of life and power that comes from God. Wow. 
Now, you read some versions of this. It says, you know, may you know the love of God. This says, may you experience the love of God. Is this an accurate translation? Actually, it is. That's good. Better translation, because the word that's used there for know means to experience, to know by experiencing. God wants you to experience his love. He doesn't just want you to have a theology of his love. He wants you to have a theology of his love so you have an experience of his love. Am I, am I making sense? Ask God to help you to experience love in all of its dimensions, its height and depth and length and width and breadth, this love that surpasses knowledge. And then another way that would really help you experience daughtership and sonship, really experience the nearness of God, the comfort of God, is spend some time with him. Spend some time with him alone, you know, in solitude. Close the door, shut off the devices, make some time. It says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. What would I do during that time? How about read a little bit, read a little bit of the Bible. Take some time praying, tell him your troubles, tell him what bothers you, tell him what worries you. Ask him to show you how to experience him and welcome him and, 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 and let him father you. Let him pull you close and with his hand on your neck. Meet him in community. Do this. Keep doing this. Not just this, but smaller groups. Some of you are already doing that, you know? I think it's really important that we meet in community, smaller groups, seek the Lord, spend some time worshiping, dive into the word, of course, but share your troubles. Share your worries. God will meet you. I want to invite the worship team up and... Uh, in the last couple of minutes, I just want to say this. It's really good that you come. Thank you for coming. It, it blesses my heart to see you here. Some of you are online. That's great. Awesome. Um, some of you couldn't be here for various reasons. You wanted to be here. But if you're hearing this message, you know what? God wants you to experience what you just heard about. And, and, and you know what? It's a prayer away. Just say, Jesus, 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 I need you. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. Do you? Do you want to be his disciple? Then first you've got to be a daughter. You've got to be a son. Cry out to him and ask him to help you to do that. Shall we pray together? So Lord Jesus, we appeal to you. We appeal to you. Have mercy on us and cleanse us afresh with, it, with your beautiful blood. And um, Lord, uh, help me to want to be a disciple. Maybe I don't even want to be a disciple today. Help me to want to be a disciple but also help me, Lord, to learn that the basis for that is being your child, being your beloved, letting you hug on me, letting you hold me close, letting you put your hand on my neck and draw me close to you and knowing that you are there. Oh, Lord, thank you. If you agree with that prayer, just say amen.